0: Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and obviously it is inspiring and sexy to chat with the founders of brands that have been built from the outset to solve sustainability problems. Whether that's actively using up recycled materials or eliminating trash, or working on minimizing food waste, or turning it into something of value, they always make for compelling episodes. But I never want to lose sight of the fact that every brand has an important part to play in how we collectively build a healthier planet. So I think it's really important to cast a hero spotlight too on the brands whose core purpose lies outside sustainability, yet still weave conscious, sustainability-focused approaches into everything they do. And today's guest is a brilliant example of that. Bridget Carmody is the founder of Clements Organics, a skincare brand built on the backbone of certified organic ingredients and Bridget's experience as a naturopath. I mean that's awesome in itself but if you isolate the brand purpose from how Bridget navigates the choices she's making on everything from suppliers to primary packaging to logistics, you'll see exactly what I mean when I say that any brand can make conscious and sustainable choices. So with that let's start the show. Bridget, Carmody, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Charles.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And I think you might be the first brand from the uh, Blue Mountains that we've had on the show. So that's pretty cool.
1: That's nice. That's nice.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah. So if anyone that doesn't know where that is, that's kind of just west of Sydney, up the hill a bit, and, uh, and, and just kind of outside the big smoke, basically, isn't it? That's right. Spot on. So Bridget, before we get into all the amazing stuff that you're doing with your brand Clements Organics or Clemence Organics. Actually, no, I'm not going to try and pretend I can do a French accent. Let's Me just neither. call it Clements Organics because I just sound like a fool. Let's go with that. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you got into this game in the first place?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my background is in um, naturopathy, naturopathic medicine. Um, I have been a practitioner uh, previously. I've also worked uh, doing complementary medicine research at Western Sydney university. Um, so I've been in the sort of natural medicine field for quite some time. Um, in fact, it was in the, the last year of my degree, um, when I guess I made one of my, one of my first skincare products, maybe perhaps the one that would really, um, start me down the path of skincare. And that was when I made a balm for my dad who was having radiation treatment for cancer. Um, I looked at the one that they gave him, uh, for, you know, helping out with his radiation and it was full of rubbish. Uh, and so it went in the bin. I went back to university, talked to my professors and came up with a better, a better product to help him. And um, it, it really worked well. And I had comments from the oncology nurses telling me or asking me rather what it was uh, because he had very little redness, very little um, irritation from it. And so I guess for me, it was an, a bit of an aha moment because it was something simple that I could do, but actually really made quite a big difference in my dad's life. So I think that was kind of one of the initial things that started me down the path of skincare and and then when I did eventually go into practice, I um, I did have the confidence to make products for my clients as well who had specific skin issues. Um, and it kind of very quickly became a, a part of my business, um, so much so that I had to make a choice between making lots of skincare products and continuing to be a naturopathic practitioner. And I, and I decided I wanted to give the skincare a go because I guess something was drawing me down that path. I really enjoyed um, the process and um, just helping people to make simple changes in their daily routines, um, which could make a big difference with the health of their skin. And so, yeah, I I launched the brand in 2016. So it's been um, go-go ever since then.
0: What's that now? That's like a uh, seven years, seven years old, eight years old brand. So that's pretty good. So you, and and you've racked up, I don't know, almost every award there is, I think, in that time for, um, you know, best uh, beauty short lists, you've got clean and conscious awards, eco choice awards, you've just about done everything in that time. That's quite impressive.
1: Yeah, I'm really proud of the awards we've won. And we've won them right from the get-go, which I think is just a testament to the quality of our products. They really are beautiful uh, products that really, I guess, do what they say they're going to do. And people really um, really love that. So hence the awards.
0: It obviously shows. And they do show... That there's a there's a deep credibility to what you're doing as well. They are useful from a sort of a PR and proof point of view, aren't they? So yeah, absolutely. Great to have those as well as a nice pat on the back to just you know, as a founder to go, yeah, I'm I'm doing some good stuff here. That's good.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: So. Uh, Bridget, I suppose the reason I wanted to have you on the show uh, was that I love the holistic view you're taking around um, sustainability in your brand. Because while you didn't start the brand with the intention to change the world and make the planets uh, healthier and all the rest of it, you started it with a with a, a deep desire to help people with their skincare problems. And obviously, you know, from a from a naturopath point of view, you have a a very clean sense of of the chemicals that you're using, all the rest of it. But I love all of the conscious choices you're making, so much so that I wanted you just to sort of help us think through the journey you've been on with those things, because not everything's easy. Sometimes it can be really hard and difficult to actually make those good choices. But I think you're such a great example of someone that is taking those hard decisions along the way. Um, you know, So I wanted to have you on. So let's start, though, with the, I suppose, the chemistry elements. Of what you're doing, right? Because there's or everything you do is, I think, if I'm right in saying certified organic and and you know, there's no sort of um man-made chemicals, I suppose is the word I'm looking for. That that's that's fair, isn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think as a health practitioner, for me, it's really about making um the the healthiest choices. And so I think for me, healthy means clean, natural, chemical-free, preservative free. It's I guess as close to nature as possible, it's close to food as possible, you know. So really really what you're putting on your skin and in your body has no uh, possibility of disrupting you know the sort of I guess the health of your skin or the health of your body. So, as a as a practitioner, I chose certified organic because it is a very clear standard of, of ingredient. It shows that that product has passed certain um, certain levels, uh, showing how clean it is and chemical free. Um, and so, I, I guess it's just a it sort of was the gold standard when it came to ingredients. So every product is formulated with as much certified organic um, ingredient as possible. They're not all 100%, but we really tried to get it as close to. And anything that is not certified organic is definitely 100% natural.
0: And that in itself, I imagine, is quite a process. Um, Just from chatting to you before the show, I'm pretty sure that you don't um, formulate all this in your kitchen uh, anymore. I don't think you can, right? Because if, you, if you're getting certified organic. So uh, how easy was it to find um, factories or manufacturers that were willing to work with some of the uh, ingredients you wanted to work with?
1: Yeah, it, it was it was quite challenging. Like early days, I would make everything everything. everything myself by hand in my clinic Um, so I would just purchase all the ingredients from wholesalers and then make it but as we kind of grew uh, and I wanted to get the actual official certification on my the labels of my products and and packaging um, I needed to find a certified organic manufacturer Um, and so in Australia there are only a certain amount of factories that can do that for you Um, I'm fortunate enough to have found one um, that was recommended to me by the chemist um, that I work with uh, just in Sydney so um, yeah, we've been working with them from from the very beginning. So we've sort of got a good, long-standing relationship with them.
0: For people like me who don't necessarily understand really what certified organic means, can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Like, what does it actually mean from a consumer point of view? What confidence does that give us uh, about the materials, about the factory, about all that stuff? What does it really mean?
1: Yeah, look, it's um, it's, uh, it's look, it's it's to actually go through the process of getting organic certification is a. Uh, a highly convoluted paperwork heavy (laughs) process (laughs) massive headache ie um it was a lot of work Uh, you basically have to go through every single ingredient that you use and go back to that manufacturer and get um evidence from them that their that product um was grown in a, a certified organic environment it was then um picked processed package uh, in, in a way that complies with organic certification. So no chemical processes, um, you know, nothing has been sprayed along the way um, and then gets to a wholesaler uh, who also have to hold their own license to hold and store those ingredients. Um, so right. you really have to go back to the very origins of each product um, which is a lot of work but once you do it it's very much worthwhile Um, and so then once you put all the ingredients together to be able to claim um, an organic certification you have to meet a certain percentage of um, certified organic ingredients in your products and it it varies depending on the type of product that you have Um, for us ours are sort of in the I think I'm trying to think the lower one is uh, lowest is maybe around 86%, something like that. So maybe the lower threshold is around 80, um, but we go all the way up to 100% on some of our products. So you just need to meet a certain threshold and have gone back and done the paperwork for every single ingredient in that product to prove that it is as organic as it should be.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it really is on the ingredients uh, certification rather than the manufacturer or the factory certification. Yeah. Look,
1: the factory just has to hold a certification to show that where they're dealing with these, ingredients and manufacturing the products for me they can do it in an environment that is um, certified organic so it's clean it's not using any chemicals which aren't allowed under certified or uh, certified organic standard Um, you know they will allow a certain amount of cleaning chemical but um, yeah, they're very careful about that. So they get audited and they have to prove that they're not um, using any particular cleaning products that they shouldn't, um, that all the ingredients are stored um, only in, with other organic ingredients um, and that everything is kind of, I guess, kept separate and clean because often mm. um, manufacturing facilities, including the one that we use, manufacture non-organic products at the same time. Yeah,
0: interesting. I, I didn't know some of those things. So thanks for sharing that. That's, that's kind of insightful and useful information to have. So, I mean, obviously what you, you make at the end of the day is kind of lotions and creams and pastes and and stuff like that, that has oil-based content or water-based content. And that gives a few challenges, doesn't it? When it comes to actually that primary packaging, what the, what the heck do you contain it in? And obviously you've been through uh, probably multiple journeys, I would imagine, of of discovery of what the best, what the most sustainable approach is to uh, packaging packaging that those those lotions those creams um and it's not necessarily always obvious what the best choice is can you can you sort of like tell us a little bit about your journey for the best thing that you found and and, and where you settle on at the moment
1: yeah absolutely look it's um it's a never-ending journey it's not one with a with a end result ever it's just a constant evolution as to what's available so i think for me right from the get-go it just didn't make sense to have these beautiful clean organic products and then house them in something that was bad for the environment or, you know, would um, would not be able to be recycled or uh, reused or composted. And so I really did think about my packaging choices from the get-go and as a, you know, starting out from as a very, very small business owner um, from scratch, I was obviously limited to what I could purchase um, for myself but I decided to choose mostly uh, aluminium and glass as the housing for my products as these are two very easily recycled products in Australia Um, And then over years, this has sort of changed and evolved depending on the circumstances. So when COVID hit, um, I had to make a choice with some of my glass jars that I was purchasing from China. I couldn't get them during that time and so I looked for another option that was locally made and I ended up settling on some plastic tubes that were made in Sydney at a factory. They're made from Australian recycled plastic and they are um, 100% recyclable in your household recycling bins. Um, and they, yeah, they're they're actually really, they're a great factory. They really try to be as eco-conscious as they can. They're they're solar powered um, and they have some really good practices around waste management. So at the, cho- at the time, that was the next best choice that I could make. Um, and then now I'm sort of going through another process of evaluating all my packaging. I'm actually getting them audited um, by someone who has uh, a lot of experience in the sustainable packaging field um, and she's helping me go through each and every product, um, looking at the packaging, deciding whether or not it is, in fact, the the right choice for the, the product inside and also um, if what is the next best sustainable option um, to house that in. So, like Mm. I said, it's a constant evolution. It's never finished. Um, But I guess for me, it's just always trying to make the best choice within the limitations that I have as a small business owner and being based in Australia.
0: Yeah, that philosophy really sums up what i hope comes across very strongly and in this episode is that you have to make the best choice that's available to you at the time it's not necessarily the perfect choice it's not necessarily the best one that's conceivable but making conscious decisions is the best thing that we can do as small brand owners right and you've done that and even the case where you were saying you started out with glass then COVID hit couldn't get the glass jars anymore and so you've gone back to look at the factory and they have solar, they've got waste management practices in place and all the rest of it just shows the depths that you're taking to make those conscious decisions, which I think is enormously, enormously admirable. So looking back, you know, comparing aluminium and glass, for example, are, are, is one solution better than the other for for one particular type of, of, of containment or are they, where do they differ and what are their strengths and weaknesses, do you think?
1: It's so complicated. I mean, aluminium is great because it's lightweight, um, it's um it's opaque, so glass doesn't easily pass through it. So in a lot of in, in skincare, a lot of products are light sensitive. So you have to sort of keep things in a, a darker container of sorts. So and aluminium, it's one of those metals though, whilst the actual initial manufacture of it is quite bad it's one of the most easily recycled materials. I think like there, there is a, a, a stat that says something like 80% of aluminium in use today is from recycled aluminium. So it does get easily recycled and in Australia. Um, so that's mm. the thing. Like we have obviously have issues with recycling being stuff being sent overseas. Glass, um, glass can be tricky. So um, it depends on the colour of the glass. So clear glass, amber glass, um, very easily recycled. Um, but once you start having uh, – colors um then it makes it much more difficult to to um to recycle so obviously again as i mentioned we can't have a clear um or an amber glass because you can still light still goes through the glass onto that product so we actually have a um like a thick white walled glass product that we use Um, but we will take back this glass and recycle it um ourselves with a sort of small small handle um uh, like a small company that recycles glass so for us it was kind of like well aluminium seems like the better option but um, yeah there's there's issues with the initial manufacture of that glass depending on the color is on these that recycled so there's issues there Um, so yeah and then plastic that well that's a whole other ball game so I, I think for me with the limited knowledge I have I just like I said, try and make the best decision based on that, the information that I have. And that's why I'm actually going to someone outside my company this time to get more help with this.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? I've seen, I'm seeing more and more of the aluminium jars cropping up amongst, you know, skincare and personal care brands. I guess because, like you say, it's, uh, you know, lightweight. So it makes it, you know, cheaper to ship in bulk, which is always very, very important. And of course, that infinitely recyclable, which is great. And to be honest, I think it looks great. I love the look of the aluminium bottles. I think they look terrific.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I've always liked them. I mean, yeah, some people think that it makes it look a bit, um, I don't know, homemade or local markety, which is something that we're Mm. evaluating at the moment. But I guess for me, I try and make a choice based on like I will prioritize the sustainable um, choices over aesthetics most of the time. Yeah.
0: It's interesting you say that because I I wouldn't have thought that looking at the aluminum ones, if anything, I think the glass ones look a bit more to me, the, you know, the glass jars and things look a bit more kind of, Oh, I just, I found that and I've, I've just dumped some stuff into it and (laughs) now I'm selling it. Uh, Whereas aluminum looks made for purpose, which is interesting. Um, and so that you you were talking I think about the type of plastic that you've been uh, looking at for some of the plastic containers there's some there's a bit of a story behind that as well isn't there
1: Yeah I mean I think talking to uh, this woman that we're working with who's assessing sort of the sustain, sustainability about of, of our packaging she sort of explained to me that you know plastic isn't all all bad you know it's really often a more sustainable choice um which uh, like, I you know I ultimately find it it all just so confusing and <laughs> hard to decipher, yeah. but yeah, I think um, there's so many different types of plastics. Um, it's choosing uh, choosing the right plastic, something that, that is easily recyclable. Like our plastic is the same plastic that um, an ice cream container is made out of, something that everyone knows and recognizes. Um, mm. So that's something that is used every day and is is very easily recycled um, in Australia. So we kind of chose that chose that type of plastic because of that ease of recycling, um, but yeah, I mean, there's this there's, there's so many options when it comes to plastic. You really just need to um, I don't know have a degree <laughs> to be able to understand all, or, or have someone who understands it better than you do.
0: And herein lies the in- enormous importance, and and I think growing need for packaging engineers uh, to help you design the right solutions that are sustainable. But fundamentally, you know, you're right when you say that. You know, we, can't, we can never really forget about the fundamental principle and point of packaging, which is to keep the product safe, mm. to keep it fresh, to keep it contained uh, so that it arrives uh, at the customer's door in perfect condition. And, um, you know, obviously every product has its own needs for packaging and every product is different, whether it's oil-based, water-based, powder, you know, you name it. They all have their own requirements, which means they'll have their own needs in terms of the material that you use. And, you know, it doesn't mean that plastic's not, in fact, the best choice.
1: Yeah, like I think it's, um, plastic has such a bad, Wrap so um, it's very easy to think of it instantly as you know the the worst choice possible. Um, mm-hmm. But I think um, I think there just has to be a lot more information ed- and education around um, sustainable packaging because it's it's not always the case. I think there are far worse options out there. Like for us, we just. Um, I look at a lot of the packaging op- options available to me in skincare and some of them are just terrible when they, I look at some mm. of the components and think, well, I don't think any of that can be recycled. You know, you've got so many bits and pieces stuck you know, glued together um, that it just makes it very hard for someone to be able to recycle that, especially, you know, most of us, most of us are lazy and, you know, so we want to just be able to chuck it in our recycling bin. we don't want to have to post it back or take it some to some special place. We really need to make it as easy as possible for the consumer. And so I, I try yeah. and think about all of that when I'm making those choices.
0: Yeah, they're exactly the sort of things that we should be thinking about as well, because I mean... You know, there's also the difficulty of, of genuinely emptying the tubes, isn't there? I mean, uh, you know, part of the problem with things like um, you know, the squeezy tubes that people know and love um, is that well they, they often don't get recycled because they've got stuff left in them and the recycling plants hate that
1: yeah that's right and that's I, I think I shared um, something with you the other day about uh, World Environment Day um, which fell recently and I said one of the things we did was share a video with our customers showing how they could easily cut into our tubes to remove the very last bits from the tube but without actually cutting the whole top of it off so because obviously if you cut a piece of plastic off if it's too if it's too small it's not going to be recycled it'll just go through through to Waste. So we really just want to encourage our customers to be able to recycle the, the whole of the container and also get the best value from their products as possible. So we really do talk to our customers and just give them little tips and tricks to make the most of the products in the packaging that we give them.
0: And I know that we we talked about this before as well, but I, I you know I think it's a very interesting concept, and I think. You know, the, the the idea of circular packaging, the idea of, of getting refills for things like your products, which are consumable, not edible, but consumable, you know, is an interesting one. So can you tell us a little bit about, about the journey you are on actively uh, working on that in, in that space?
1: Yeah, refillable, um, it's an interesting one. It's something that I would like to um, get into, but I'm sort of, I'm having trouble finding the right entry point, I guess, for us. Sort of, we're kind of a... We're not we're not small anymore, but we're not big either. We're somewhere in the middle, um, and with a lot of those refill um, refillable packaging options, you need to be of a certain scale. Um, mm. Having said that, some of, I just I have trouble getting my head around the plastic pouches that people use um, as a you know that are the refillable option so you buy a a container um, and then you buy a refill which will come in some sort of a plastic foil package and that can't be recycled in any way whatsoever so I don't like that Um, and whilst there are more biodegradable packaging options available we can't use those um, as a skincare product because our products are very sensitive to oxygen and light and heat and what have you and so all of the um, those sort of packaging it's just it won't, won't house our products. It won't last. You know, it'll just mm. potentially, you know, leak out of it if it's if it's too porous as a compostable option or just not last. So I struggle with those sort of um, refill options. There are sort of things like for um, for cream, for face cream, like a, I can buy pods, I, I guess like a coffee pod. Um, but these are still relatively new okay. to the market. And from what I have heard, um, there are quite a lot of issues with those as well. Um, and there's still quite a bit of packaging involved, uh, plastic involved Involved in those products, so I just I'm not. Whilst I kind of keep you know my eyes and ears open about refillable options, I haven't found the right solution that to me feels like um, the next you know most sustainable choice for us. So I feel like there's yeah. still there's still more to come. in in that sector
0: like anything like all of this stuff it's immensely complicated (laughs) and there's a heck of a journey and and obviously scale is is a massive part of whether you can really make that work or not isn't it Mm, for sure i mean as you've experienced yourself um one last piece i want to touch on around the choices you make around packaging before we move on to Uh, Some other topic that I think is really fascinating um, is shipment packaging. Obviously you've, you've thought through that as well. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what you're doing there.
1: Yeah. So I think shipment packaging, um, I guess it's been one of the easier things for us to, to navigate and choose more sustainable options quite early on in the piece. So um, we, uh, we house our, products um, when we ship them in either a recycled cardboard box which is obviously then either 100% recyclable or compostable um, only with food grade dyes uh, used in the sort of with our branding and stuff on that box um, we then line it with uh, tissue paper which is compostable uh, and then we will pop our products in there and we'll pack um, some corn starch packing peanuts around them which are again compostable 100% biodegradable um, and we seal it up uh, with tape which is uh, made from cornstarch so not a plastic tape um, but again a compostable packing tape so we make sure that every component of our um, our shipping is um, plastic free um, and then we we ship with Australia post who ships uh, carbon neutral so we try and um and do that i feel like we do that as best we can and i should mention yeah. when we're only s- sending out one or two products um, then we send them out in a um, a soft pack compostable bubble mailer, um, which is another great option that's been available for some time now. So I really feel like um, there's some easier choices and simple ones for companies to make at any sort of stage of their growth.
0: Yeah, I've often said that um, shipment packaging, in, in particular, is is probably the easiest, lower hanging, lowest hanging fruit on ramp for for doing things more sustainably, isn't it? And you, and you've obviously thought through that process uh, really, really well. I just touch on the packing peanuts for a minute, because you mentioned they were biodegradable, compostable. Does that mean that you know customers that get that can just go and bury it in their compost and it will just compost down, or does it require some sort of industrial type of facility?
1: No. I mean, they, they, they biodegrade really easily. You can actually just run them under running water, not that you just want to run water to, to biodegrade, to, to break them up, but yeah, they're they're easily biodegradable just in your home um, compost. Like I've even, yeah. um, you know, just thrown some out on the ground to see how quickly they degrade before and they just, they break down super quickly. They're, they're really great, really great and lightweight.
0: I've seen some of that packaging actually when they you just put it in a bucket of water and it's almost like magic just disappears. That That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is. They're like um, sugar cubes. They just melt really quickly
0: yeah right it's it's actually fun to watch um they're quite good so uh thanks very much for for talking about all those things i mean you know i I love the way that you're thinking so holistically about all all of the elements of the things that you do It, it absolutely brilliant one thing that I, I would love to come back to, and I've talked about this a few times before, and I think it's a really powerful strategy. I, I wanted to explore how you're using it effectively, and if you've got any tips to share, is around sampling. Because obviously, you know, your products are consumable; people need to use them, uh, you know, a few times to to get to feel the benefit from them. Do you use sampling in your business, and if so, how have you found it, and what uh, what have you found that's really uh, uh, successful with using samples?
1: Yeah, look, sampling is another tricky one um, in skincare. Um, it's something that we I don't know, again, have just tried to make the best choice we can um, for like little sample sachets um, is what we've used for the last few years. But the last time that we manufactured them, we were able to move towards um, a, a sachet material um, that was made from uh, like a recycled, recycled plastic. So it was kind of a – it was a more – a more, yeah, more sustainable option that was put available to us at the time. Again, it costs mm-hmm. us. It costs us more money, um, but I guess for me, I would rather choose an option that um, has a less of an impact on the environment as, as possible, um, and do that. Um, So having said that, that was the last run we did. We actually haven't done a sampling run this year just because I, I, yeah, I feel like there's a bit of a shift there with samples, even though it's, it's quite important in skincare because people have sensitivities to, to skincare Mm. products and they often have to trial them. Um, I'm, I've, I haven't put in a sampling production run because I'm really not comfortable with the amount of waste um, that comes from sampling sachets. So we're kind of in the process of looking at other options. Um, You know, we have, do have some very small aluminium um, canisters that we will use um, for some sampling um, and hope that they will then be reused or recycled because they are quite nifty little ones. Um, Mm. But yeah, I think that we just, we find ourselves moving away from mainstream sampling sachets and looking towards other option at the moment, which is more sort of on request, um, you know, hand-filled samples um, rather than opposed to just mass-produced sample sachets it's yeah it's yeah. a tricky one
0: 20 or so shows ago we had gail team from uh dustin glow over in new zealand on the show and she showed us these little um little aluminum discs it's almost like the size of a little 50 cent piece or something with a, with a sort of screw top on the top of it which is which is pretty cool as a as a way of you know again once again 100% recyclable cuz it's aluminum right so um so that was quite interesting
1: that's exactly what we use yeah. yeah perfect yeah
0: and so i was watching a thread of conversation the other day around this this notion of waste when it comes to sampling and um Interesting that there were different points of view on this. And one point of view I hadn't really considered, must admit, was sampling allows for people to try a product... And see if they like it before they buy a bigger version. And if they didn't like the bigger version, well, that would end up being wasted, right? There'd be all that material that would waste it. All the rest of it. As someone that obviously is kind of hyper focused on waste, and and obviously this is a problem that you're struggling with yourself now. Do you? Where do you stand on that? Do you think that's a valid argument?
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think that, um, especially in the sort of in the beauty field, there's a lot of product waste you know you go into people's households and open up their cupboards and you'll see a lot of unused products it's it's pretty it's pretty common and i'm sure um, a lot of the time is because people have bought something and then decided they didn't like it so sampling is um a really important um it, it is important to have and i think it's essential in in the beauty business but it's just finding ways to do it that that don't have an impact. So I think yeah. by yeah, either offering something that is refillable, recyclable, reusable is is probably the best choice as opposed to having um plastic sachets that just get thrown out
0: yeah for sure in terms of growth and marketing and you know i guess being able to uh, encourage your customers to pick up new products if you've got them have you used sampling you know to achieve those those goals before and and how if so how's that worked
1: yeah so we last year we um we made some smaller sizes of our sort of uh four of our hero products um so they're not actual um, sample sachets but just as opposed to more sample sizes so it's just smaller sizes so they're more affordable um you know, more as opposed to maybe one or two applications, you'd probably get a week or two out of them. Um, right. So we found that that worked really well, um, and we found it was a really great entry point for people to feel um, to try our products uh, and to feel confident with them without um, investing too much into a, a product um, or committing to it. Um, so we mm. do find that offering um, different sizes or a smaller size of a product seems to be a really a good way to go, and and it also means that um, people, I guess will view that as a as an option as opposed to needing a sample sachet or something smaller.
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it? because you know those kind of micro samples that give you, a couple of days worth of use i mean the best they can do ultimately is you know you get the feel for it you get the smell uh you know how, whether it feels oily or waxy or or whatever it is but ultimately unless it's some kind of wonder cure which you know I, I think we can all agree doesn't doesn't really exist for anything you need to be using something for longer to see if it actually works for you for in whatever application you're, you're using and there's There's a lot of psychology behind sampling that says that you have to allow people sort of a minimum seven to ten days worth of product in order for them to go yeah that i can see that's actually working and therefore i'm going to continue using this besides which actually gets them out of the habit of using whatever it was they were using before so i think what you're you seem to be resonating with that we seem to be suggesting that the slightly bigger sample sizes presumably you can charge for those too oh
1: absolutely they're,
0: they're better at actually being able to give people a real experience of the product without having to invest in you know the full size
1: yeah that's right because it takes time for people to um to give a product a try I don't think one or two applications is ever really enough and in terms of skin you know it takes about 30 days for your skin cells to turn over so to actually really see if a product is having an effect on your skin i mean there are some more instant not instant but you know quite quick responses you can have to some products especially if it's something that's soothing inflammation um but Mm -hmm. generally you need more time and people i find that by purchasing one of those smaller sizes they they are making some sort of a commitment to that product as well so they feel like they really do have to they really have to give it a go as opposed to something that might come free or only cost a dollar or two um that you know they could probably just easily throw away and or not not care so much about it does it does make a difference and it does we've seen a really good uptake of that
0: i think that's a really powerful insight you just shared you know essentially that while free samples might seem like a great idea obviously with paid samples you're covering your cost of the sample itself but more importantly the expectation is that the consumer will use it more there's 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 value attached to that it gets them across the penny gap and so they're more likely to convert into a full-size actual sale at the end of it which is um really insightful so thanks for sharing that so uh, eight years seven years old eight years old brand um where do you see it all going in the next couple of years what are you really working on and where do you want to take the brand over the next few years
1: so I think that um, we've had some really nice growth over the last few years, um, not just in Australia but in international markets. So we're in Japan and we're also in um, Hong Kong and China. Um, so I think we've we've got some other sort of um, countries that we are working towards selling in at the moment. So I think it's just, um, it's yeah, I guess, international expansion is probably our, our main focus at this point. And, yeah, I think it's sort of a... I'm, it's something that I've wanted since the beginnings of my business and we have been able to achieve that quite quickly. Um, and I just, I love being able to champion, you know, Australian products out there on the international market. It just makes me, me really proud.
0: Yeah. And certainly, uh, my goodness, China, what an enormous market that is, but also very, very different to the Australian marketplace, of course. If you don't mind sharing, what's your what's your main strategy for getting into China? Are you using third-party platforms? Are you've got wholesaler distributors there? What approach are you taking?
1: Yeah, we have a distributor. So a distributor approached us um, almost uh, two years ago now about becoming our distributor in that market. Yeah. Uh, and so we spent a bit of time sort of chatting and uh, looking into each other and you know getting comfortable with each other and then we decided to to commit to a relationship and yeah we've been selling there for 18 months now and it's yeah. it's um it's been going really well they they're really loving our products um and it's definitely um a growth market for us so um yeah i've i've really enjoyed that journey so far
0: yeah interesting 18 months it's probably i mean it's not that long have you noticed any shift in the appetite for the products in that time is there you know like obviously significant things have changed over here in 18 months are you seeing? similar things from the chinese market as well
1: no i mean we haven't seen any decline i guess if if that's what you're 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 sort of leaning towards we haven't seen a decline in our sales we've only seen an increase
0: well what a fantastic journey so so bridget where do people get your amazing skincare products
1: so they can find us at clementsorganics.com uh and they can uh, reach out to us on socials as as well um clements organics c-l-e-m-e-n-c-e Organics. Bridget,
0: thank you so much for sharing that journey with us uh today. I really do appreciate the level of conscious decision making that you're bringing in every element of your brand. It's such a it's such a great example for everybody. Uh you know, we don't all have to be, you know, and I use this term very loosely, sort of save the planet driven organizations to do things sustainably. You you've got a very strong agenda of helping people with their skincare, which is awesome, but you're still taking a very considered uh, ethical and sustainable approach to, to the way that you're making it, the way you're distributing it. And I, and I think that's really admirable. So thank you very much for joining us and sharing that with us.
1: Thanks, Giles. I really appreciate that. Like, I think if we all just, you know, can make, make a, one small change or make a little bit of effort, then all up, it all becomes one great big effort and we can make these changes together.
0: Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. Well let's just get stuck straight into Clements Organics as a case study in how small and medium brands can tackle their approach to primary packaging. I've picked a skincare brand specifically for this because finding packaging solutions for oils and creams and lotions and gels is about the toughest challenge. They need to be airtight, watertight, lightproof, durable and often squeezable. This is where genuinely plastic does excel. The easiest and fastest and cheapest thing to do is to use the plethora of ready-made plastic solutions already available on the market. Yet right from the start, Bridget's philosophy has always been that it doesn't make sense to use organic ingredients and then damage the environment with careless packaging choices. That doesn't mean to say that perfect options are even available, especially given the constraints of ingredient protection, operational scale, and predictable supply, far from it. But at each stage, Bridget has made the best choice she could. Even now, eight years in, she's still seeking better ways and as you heard, has recently engaged a sustainable packaging consultant to help her lift the game once again. So what's the lesson here? Well, as the titles of this show suggests, it's about making conscious choices. It's about taking the best option that's reasonably within your grasp. And that applies to everything. Paper packaging? Choose recycled paper. Need bottles or jars? perhaps aluminium is better than plastic. Can't quite afford to install solar, switch to a renewable energy supplier. Progress is better than perfection, because the pursuit of perfection leads to inaction and paralysis, whereas progress is made through taking action. But as Bridget showed us progress is perpetual. Regularly review your choices to see if new better options are presenting themselves as the technology evolves and your buying power also grows. So I hope you took inspiration from listening to Bridget's story today. I'll be back again with you next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet.